Okay, I think we're going to get started. We may have some folks coming in um, as we're going, but we just, you know, want to be mindful of the time. Okay. So, uh, welcome back, everyone. And for the panelists that just arrived, you're, you're basically sitting in front of the illustrious 2015 Diversity and Exploration Program participants who have just arrived today, so we're all very excited to have them here. And just as uh, equally excited as to have this wonderful panel, which I will introduce to you, uh, we have Jiaying Ding, and Jiaying is an MDiv student in the class of 2018 and a BA graduate of UCLA study of religion. She was a Div Xer just last year, and she is interested in how narrative is used in the healing process to address trauma, and was inspired by the book Achilles in Vietnam, which I'll let her talk about if that's still something she'd like to talk about. Um, last year when she came for Div X, she was considering clinician and academic career paths, and so she might update us a little bit on maybe how that's going. As a first-generation immigrant, she has lived in different parts of China, Canada, and the U.S. Uh, then we have on the panel John Kelly, who is a first-year MDiv candidate and a proud DivX alum. Uh, they study transgender feminist ethics and theology and Christianity with the hopes of going on to a PhD and becoming a professor. John's academic interest includes the intersection of transgender theory and theology, trauma, and survival. They graduated in May with a BA in religion from Tufts University, where they were active in campus sexual violence activism. Beyond academics, John is passionate about dogs, Netflix, shares, shares Twitter, and nail polish. John identifies as genderqueer and an occasional Catholic. And we'll forgive you for that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, next, we have Reverend Marcus McCullough. Rev Marcus uh, was born and raised in the Seattle area and grew up in First AME Church, Seattle. He was licensed to preach in 2005 during his sophomore year of college. He earned a BA degree in religion from Morehouse in Atlanta, Georgia in 2007 and next obtained a Master's of Divinity degree from HDS in 2010, where he focused on New Testament studies and pastoral care. In 2012, he loved school, so he then went and got a Master of Sacred Theology degree from BU School of Theology. And he is also a hospital chaplain, having completed a residency in clinical pastoral, sorry, clinical pastoral education in Seattle in 2011. It is his intention to be appointed a pastor in the AME Church. Cedric Chauncey Rucker graduated from Cleveland Heights High School in Cleveland, Ohio. Upon graduation, he enlisted in the U.S. Navy, made rank as second pe class petty officer intelligence specialist, and was honorably discharged in February 2000 after serving for five years. He then enrolled at Norfolk State University, graduated summa cum laude in four years. Mr. Rucker obtained his MA in community counseling from Regent University and his Master of Divinity from Harvard Divinity School. Uh, some of the other more recent things he's done is residential counselor at Pines Residential Treatment Facility, a facility for adolescents that have been diagnosed with serious mental health disorders, and he's worked as a residential counselor at James Bentley Treatment Program, which is an inpatient facility for um, adolescents who have uh, committed serious sex offenses. 
he recently has become a part of the Boston Reentry Initiative, and he's working with inmates and uh, ex-offenders uh, and in individual, individuals most likely to reoffend with a violent crime. Kara Street is a fourth-year doctoral student. I'm just going to take this out so I can be sorry. Kara Street is a fourth-year doctoral student in the Committee on the Study of Religion in the Graduate School of Arts and Science at Harvard. Her research interests coalesce generally around issues of race, gender, sexuality, and social media. And her current project considers the ways in which contemporary women-only networks and evangelical Christian circles use digital media to form and inform ideals of proper womanhood. Kira received her bachelor's degree in religious studies from Spelman College and her master's in the theological studies from Harvard Divinity School in 2010. She was a part of the first DivX cohort in fall 2007. So I'm so pleased to uh, welcome these panelists. So they'll just each go down the row and then we'll open it up for Q&A. So I'll just, and if you all could speak in this mic as it goes to the camera, if it's possible. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, once again, my name is Cedric Rooker and uh, it's funny because one of the things that I despised most when I was going to Harvard was actually uh, speaking in front of people. I, and to go to figure, I'm back right here in front of everybody <laughs> speaking again. Uh, but I think the thing that I would say is that I, I didn't grow up thinking about uh, going to Harvard. That wasn't something that was in my dreams. That was something that, that was nothing that, that wasn't anything that I thought was not necessarily possible, but it was just not, nothing that I thought about. Um, uh, and I'm gonna try to make it quick, uh, my, my whole story quick. Um, but just to speak about myself, uh, some of the things that it didn't say uh, was that um, I repeated the sixth grade uh, growing up. You know, I was not into school, I wasn't into academics. Uh, and then when I repeated the sixth grade, something like a light bulb went off um, and I understood that I needed to get serious. Um, and so throughout my life, I went to the military, uh, went to school at Norfolk State University. One thing that it didn't say is the reason that I came to Harvard Divinity School is because I entered into the ministry uh, in December of 1996 and I've been preaching since then, ever since then. And so what I knew is that I needed something um, I've been in church all of my life, um, been to Sunday school, all of those, you know, learn, learn the Bible, all of those things, being a, a PK kid, a, a preacher's kid. Uh, so I, I've been under like the whole religion thing, but I wanted to go somewhere that would challenge me, um, would challenge my faith, would challenge uh, the things that I, that I had learned, and, and Harvard was the thing, uh, was, was that place. But what I really want to talk about Harvard um, is more than just the academics, but it's more of the emotional um, part of, of, of coming to Harvard. Um, when I was at Harvard, I went to school with, with two of the panelists up here, Marcus McCullough and Kira Street. Um, and we, we hung out pretty tight um, when, we were, when we were here. I, I can remember when Obama was elected, we were actually at Kira's house uh, when, when the election results came in. Um, so we, the, and two things that I wanted to share that I really learned uh, about um, being here at Harvard. One was, um, I remember a class with Dr. Charles Adams um, when he was talking about the, the whole uh, 
uh, if God is good and, and if God is loving, you know what I'm saying? You know, the, <laughs> you know that, that particular question, uh, if he's all loving and if he's all wise or if he's all, and if he's good, then how do bad things happen um, to good people? And one of the things that we talked about was is that um, the power of presence. Uh, and that's what, what we really bring to Harvard Divinity School is the power of presence. Um, because I can remember my final year here at Harvard Divinity School, my, my mother passed away. Um, it was probably one of the most difficult times in my life. Um, you know, mother passed away. I have to finish up my thesis statement, uh, the, finish up my thesis. But this university, this, this community, you know, really gathered around me um, and showed me love that I, you know, that I, I thought that I would never receive. Um, it, was, it was just great being here with so many people um, that, that showed that they really cared about you, um, the power of presence. But the other thing um, that I learned is, is uh, hermeneutical humility, uh, a Matthew uh, Meyer Bolton uh, phrase. And it, it's just, you know, we all come um, with our own presuppositions and we come with our own uh, experiences, whether it be about religion, philosophy, whatever it is, we all come with different um, ideas. However, what's great about Harvard is that you can have those kind of conversations and you can be authentically and, and genuinely who you are, but at the same time have a, a conversation with somebody else and still understand where they're coming from and accept them for who they are. So that, those are the things that I really remember most about Harvard. It's a, it's a great place to go and it shaped me even in the work that I do now at the Boston Reentry Initiative where, I mean, there's guys that we work with that they don't have the same background uh, that, you know, we come from or, and, and maybe you do have that same background, but it's understanding that, you know, we're there and if I can just understand a little bit about where they're coming from, I might be able to help them be everything that they were uh, called to be. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, so again, my name is John. I'm a first-year MDiv student. I graduated from Tufts University in May. So for any of y'all who are still undergrads, you can do it. Um, and you can just come right on in. Um, and yeah, so I did DivX last year, and it was a really, really important experience for me. Um, and like looking around this room, I'm reminded DivX is what I think I and a lot of other people dream HDS will look like. Um, and unfortunately, it doesn't always look like this. Um, and that can be a hard reality. And I think that some of it is tied up in the fact that a lot of folks for different reasons don't necessarily feel like, um, like perhaps their identities or experiences will be cherished or treasured or seen as valid coming to a place like Harvard, right? The big capital H Harvard, it's the man, it's the institution. Um, and for those of us who are doing work perhaps destabilizing institutions, it can be daunting to come to the place, right? Um, and it can feel a little, little like disingenuous, right? It's like why, like, why is this the place that I should go to? Am I not just reifying everything that I'm working to sort of not reify? Um, and coming to DivX, I looked around and I was like, this is who should be ministers. This is who should be theor theorizing around issues of life and death, of theodicy, of theology, of ethics. You know, this is what 
I want the fields that I'm most interested in to look like. And unfortunately, they never have, and maybe they never will fully, but I think that seeing, seeing the people that I met, I feel like that's an ethical imperative to do the work um, that you are situated best to do. Um, so something I'm really, like, really, really passionate about is um, the connection between trans theory and theology, and theology. And that's really difficult when you're working in religious communities that have been transphobic from the beginning, working in a society that's been transphobic, um, working in a Western context that's transphobic, working in an academic context that's transphobic. Um, how do you do that, right? There's one department that has a graduate studies where you can get a PhD in trans studies and it's in Arizona. And like, I don't know about y'all, but I'm probably Tucson's not gonna be the friendliest place for me. Um, <laughs> but Cambridge is, um, and there are people here who make the space so that you can do what you need to do, whether or not what you need to do has been done here or anywhere else before. And that's something that has been really attractive to me and a really grounding force, so like, um, announcing that Mark Jordan wants you to email him. He like actually does want you to email him. And a lot of professors want you to email them. And so I, there was this moment where me and another trans student went to his office hours and we were like, we aren't reading trans authors. We aren't reading trans theory. We're not reading a lot of queer theory in our classes. What can we do? And he was like, oh, let's do an independent study next semester. Like this is like a really busy guy. He does not need to do this or he doesn't need to do this, but he recognizes, again, that ethical imperative of opening up space. Um, and he's doing it. And so it's like being enacted by the people in positions of power so that we as students and future students, please, please come, um, will be able to do that work and take it to the next level so that then you're not gonna be thinking like, oh wow, this is a book that hasn't been written yet, or this is a perspective that I'm not seeing a lot of in the academy at Harvard, in the world, in ministerial settings. You can think like, there are people who have done this work before. Um, and it's scary to think that sometimes that requires a kind of groundbreaking, and groundbreaking, you know, right, you must pierce the earth, it is a traumatic event. Um, but it's a necessary event. Um, and maybe it's already happened here, maybe it's happened somewhere else, but Harvard is a place, HDS is a place where you can continue to do that work. Um, it's not easy, but it's worthwhile, and I know I would love to have all of you as my classmates in the future. Thanks, John, that was amazing. <laughs> Yeah, I think one of the interesting things about speaking live is you don't really quite know what you're going to say <laughs> until you're saying it. And I think both of um, these two talks kind of have influenced what I'm going to say right now. Um, I didn't grow up religious. I didn't think about divinity school at all. Um, I immigrated to the US, and uh, my parents were, uh, grew up during the Cultural Revolution in China. And in college, I took a class on early Christianity just because I really liked the professor. He encouraged me to ask a lot of questions and would go off on tangents and just like, we just had that back and forth and it was really empowering. And I learned how to write and I learned how to speak and to describe what I was feeling. And it was incredibly empowering, um, but it was also strange. 
Um, for example, in, uh, we were talking about the letter of Paul in 1 Corinthians, um, and we were talking about how Paul's saying the strong have to get out of the way in order for the weak to have a chance. And that really affected me um, because I felt like, you know, like he had given me a chance by asking me these questions, uh, going off on tangents, having that back and forth. And um, it, it really affected me. But then I also thought, how do I explain Paul to my parents? They're Chinese. They didn't grow up talking about Christianity. And I'm talking about like, oh, this guy, like Jesus fed fish to a crowd of people. Like it was just so far away from <laughs> anything that tasted, smelled like my parents' home, home world. And... And so that, I didn't know what to do with religious studies or why, I, it was hard to explain or justify why I was interested um, in ancient stuff, in ancient text. Um, and then the book that um, was mentioned before, Achilles in Vietnam, I was working on a, as a disability case manager at a law firm and I had some cases um, who were, uh, some of my clients were veterans and I was looking at their medical files, their mental and medical health records and reading all these details. And um, it just so happened that there was an event that happened where um, someone from the American military um, shot up a village. And there was a huge media uproar and one article um, I read about it really struck me and the writer said, well, the important question isn't why did he do this, but why did his superior not notice before that happened, that there was a change in his behavior. Um, and so I followed up and I read this book. Um, it's uh, The writer was a psychiatrist who works with Vietnam combat veterans on PTSD. And he explains PTSD using narrative, using um, Achilles in the Iliad. And it was the first example I'd seen of ancient text and like this kind of academic scholarly work on the humanities being applied to a living population that I could see and care about, that I knew people. And it really impacted me, but I didn't know what to do with it. I was like, okay, well, that's nice that he did it, but you know, how can I do I didn't think I could do anything like that. Um, I actually tried working not related to people. I worked at a software company for two years and then I was just really bored. And then, so I, I went to DivX because um, someone recommended that I should go. And I started talking about these interests at DivX. That was the first time I vocalized like, you know, I really, really like that book. <laughs> Can there be something like that for my community? Like I've never, what, what if that was true for immigrants? Because um, these insights that he had about veterans, which is that culture and context, narrative, being able to talk about what's wrong is really, was really difficult for these veterans and it was part of their trauma. And then I thought, well, isn't that part of the trauma for immigrants? And so I talked about that with uh, Professor Gyatso here during DivX and she said it, it made total sense in this space and that I would be well supported if I came here. Um, so that's how my, that's how I got here. Um, and the other piece I wanted to tell you guys is that it's just a little bit of the experience of being here for the first semester, which John can relate to. It's pretty crazy. There's just so much stimulation. There's a lot going on. There's not just classes, but also events. Just the Boston area is like full of 
things that will enrich you in different ways. And, and it all kind of, it all blends together and bleeds into each other. And it can be overwhelming. It's really difficult. Um, for example, we're reading Du Bois' um, Souls of Black Folk in our Theories and Methods class, which uh, Kira is actually my uh, TF, teaching fellow, <laughs> for that class. And just, you know, reading something that hits so close to home, this idea of double consciousness that um, you're aware of the dominant social culture and your, your view of yourself is influenced by that awareness of that, like what I said earlier about, you know, I'm learning these things, but how can I explain that to my parents? Why is there that tension and that disconnect and why do I feel weird about it? Um, and there's so many more examples, which I'm sure you guys are thinking about in your own lives. Um, so yeah, reading that, and then um, in my adolescent development class, there's a book on immigration, Youth at the Border. Lisa Patel interviews um, these kids that were part of, um, that were part of the DREAM Act. Um, and she brings up Du Bois and double consciousness. And I was like, what? Like two things that hit on like, that are talking about this in t separate classes. And then also just other experiences like going to a music concert and feeling kind of the double consciousness after I've been reading about it. And so everything really bleeds in together and it can feel really heavy um, because I think John hit on this. Um, I was talking to someone yesterday and they mentioned that, you know, being being free doesn't feel good. <laughs> like, it's not an easy event where you're like, oh, phew, I understand now. Like, now I'm fine. <laughs> Actually, it, it can make things um, heavy, um, but it also it, it expands you. Um, and so it's like, it's, a, yeah. it's both. Um, and so I think that, that's been, I think, if I could sum up my experience so far, that's, that's it. And, um, but I think it's, it's good. Like, I'm really glad that I'm here. <laughs> yeah. All right, good afternoon. Um, I'm Marcus McCullough. I'm 2010 graduate here, uh, HDS, MDiv. Um, and um, I'm an ordained, what we say, itinerant elder in the AME church, and I'm um, expecting my first pastoral appointment at some point, so God help us all. Um, there's a lot to say about my three years at HDS, three uh, very, very difficult and yet extremely rewarding years. Um, I studied religion in uh, undergrad at Morehouse College, and I knew that I was going both into ministry and I was interested in going into academia. So I applied to graduate schools, seminaries, divinity schools with that sort of double intention and I knew that I needed a place that was going to um, both affirm those intentions and prepare me very well uh, for both of those. Um, but I also, as a student of religion, I wanted somewhere that was not gonna hold any punches. I wanted somewhere that was going to uh, not try and protect my faith as I had always known it, but would give me the place to really, really wrestle with the difficult questions and the community to support me while I was doing that. Um, I applied to two schools, the other one I will not uh, name, uh, um, but when I went to visit both of those schools and it I came to HDS, I'm not a DivX alum, but when I came to, I think it was Open House or something like that, it was very clear that HDS was the place that I needed to be. Um, this place, obviously, if you're interested in academia, is 
you know, you're not going to get much better than Harvard. It's just not going to happen. Um, and then ministry, uh, particularly when you have uh, some questions and some issues about some of that traditional theology that you had, traditional understanding of the church, traditional understanding of a black church, in my instance, um, where are you going to go to sort of, uh, you know, take down the fence and really, really go in the backyard and do some rough wrestling with it? Um, and this is a place where I did that. And I had the community um, to do that. Uh, I had the support to do that. Um, as uh, Brother Cedric mentioned, we were all here together uh, with Kara, and you know that community is still thriving strong. I can still call uh, my friends Chandra and Tim or Randy or whoever uh, from back in the days at HDS Quadricus uh, and talk sermons and talk theology and theory and whatever from miles and miles away. So those are relationships that I will always, always cherish. Um, one of the things that also led me to HDS was I wanted uh, the diversity of a student population. Um, I, as I said, studied religion, and at, there was a day in college where I realized I didn't want to go to seminary where everybody was Christian. That personally was not what Marcus wanted. For a lot of people, that's what they wanted. That's not what Marcus wanted. Um, so I said, all right, where can I go and study ministry and get a solid foundation in scripture and, and theology and things like that that I would need for ministry in my tradition while also having access to have conversations and relationships with people outside of my own uh, faith practice. And again, HDS was just right on the money. Um, and to this day, I've got friends who are uh, probably will be lifelong friends. Uh, that are not only Baptist and Episcopalian and Lutheran and Quaker, but also atheists and Buddhists and, and, and Muslim uh, and humanists. Um, and in my work as a hospital chaplain at the MGH, that's come in handy as well. Uh, now, MGH is not necessarily as diverse a uh, patient population as other hospitals, but you know, I'm not scared to go and meet you know, a patient with a different faith than mine because I'm used to having those conversations. I know how to sit at the bedside and it doesn't, it's not some big uncomfortable thing for me to say, all right, I don't, I don't know what that means for your faith context, so why don't you tell me? You know, um, and I'm able to really, really dialogue. Um, it, it doesn't feel unfamiliar, it does a little bit, but, but I'm comfortable because I was here having those conversations, sitting in the rock hours at a time, eating and talking with someone of a different faith. Um, or a different identification, and, and it's, just, it's just so rich, such a rich experience. Um, and the last thing I will, I will say is that as I prepare to go into um, ministry in my particular context, which is rather scary, um, I do appreciate that some of the conversations that, again, in my context, the black church um, is starting to have, or at least needs to have, I feel like I'm better able to have those conversations because I've been having them so long because they started here. Um, uh, friends like Cedric and, and Kara and others, we were having these conversations and we were able to have those conversations with other classmates. Um, and so um, I'm not as intimidated by some of the questions that as every religious community, we have to keep asking. We have to start asking and, and really dealing with. Um, so I'm not intimidated by that. Um, so it, it was a great experience. This is one of the richest community environments I've ever been in. Um, and I would encourage each of you to talk to as many students as you can, not just professors, but talk to the students. Um, unless something has drastically changed, everyone should be pretty friendly, all right? <laughs> and uh, just take full advantage. And, um, and this is a great place, and, and um, hopefully you'll get a, the opportunity to be here. So thank you.
Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Kara Street. I um, graduated from Harvard Divinity School in 2010 with a master's in theological studies with a concentration in women, religion, gender, and sexuality. Um, and currently, I am getting my PhD um, in religion, gender, and culture um, in the Committee on the Study of Religion at the Graduate School of Arts and Sciences. Um, as Angela mentioned, I was a part of the first cohort of DivX back in 2007, many, 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 many moons ago. Um, and it's awesome just to kind of sit here and not only reflect about my experience um, as a student at the Divinity School, um, but to also think about the ways that DivX um, kind of set me up for the path that I feel like I'm on now. Um, and, you know, just as it would have it, you know, hindsight is 2020, and so in a lot of ways these reflections make a lot more sense now than they did in 2007, in, in November of 2007. Um, but just in terms of thinking about what the categories of diversity and exploration mean, I feel like this has been something that has um, not only undergirded the work that I've saw myself or have understood myself to be doing, um, not only as a master's student in religion, um, but also what I see myself doing as um, a scholar, a, a hopefully a professor, soon to be professor one day, soon hopefully, um, in, in religion. Um, and so I was thinking, you know, as everyone was talking, just about what these categories of diversity and exploration really mean. And, um, you know, to the extent that we only have five minutes to really try to unpack that, I don't know if um, we have enough time to do kind of a, a full kind of teasing out of these categories. But what I would encourage you guys to do, um, you know, today and over the course of this weekend while you're here, is to really think about what you mean when you say you want to do a diverse work. Right? Or what you mean when you say you want to explore religion or categories of religion in theological study. Um, I think diversity um, is a full word and, and comes with um, a number of analytic and descriptive histories that we can unpack and um, kind of tease out through a number of different theorists or um, kind of faith practices and traditions. Um, but I think what kind of stands out to me is this understanding that diversity represents these kind of categories or markers of identity that we all bring to the table. The webbed ways, the interlocking ways that we're always negotiating, moving through, understanding not only the world around us, um, but the categories that structure that world around us through those categories. And so I think it's really important as you're um, in this discernment process about the next steps, whether that's a master's in theological studies or divinity at HDS or another seminary or another divinity school. Um, if you're thinking about, you know, just finishing up your senior year at college or um, kind of what your longer trajectory is, that you think about what the um, what are the stories, what are the kind of, um, kind of personal analytics that you bring to the work that you're trying to do um, and that informs the work that you're trying to do in ways um, that offer either a diverse perspective to the fields that you're situated in um, or that's going to offer a diverse perspective to the fields that you, which you see yourself um, situated in. Um, in terms of exploration, I think for me, um, again, just as you know, hindsight is twenty twenty, and reflecting back, exploration is something um, that you never fully get rid of. Um, um, and to the extent that you're always trying to find the next step and trying to figure out what the next move is going to be, at least how I feel the next move is going to be, um, that exploring and that um, examining, um, that um, questioning, um, that really interrogating not only your commitments as a scholar, as a student. Um, 
but interrogating the same fields in which you feel yourself most called to do or the practices that you feel most called to do um, really, really undergirds, I think, um, again, undergirds, it undergirds that work. Um, that's the best way I think I could really put it. Um, and so, again, I would just really hope that this weekend, the Diversity and Exploration Program would help you to kind of throw some of the assumptions, the presuppositions about what you have um, or that you have about not only divinity school or graduate work, um, but your project in general, that they would throw that into kind of a sharp relief to see um, what nuances or complexities come out when you really think about what the diverse aspects of it or what it means to explore that topic in, um, in some type of concerted or intentional manner. Um, but that you also really think about what a program in religious studies or theological studies theology, you know, theory, whatever, what that's going to offer you in terms of your own diversity and exploration of yourself. I think um, any work that you come away with, um, if you come away from a work unchanged, then that work is not the work that you should be doing. Um, and I think that, if anything, diversity and exploration program here at the Divinity School, my time at the Divinity School and the current work that I'm doing in the um, graduate program um, has shown me just that. So thank you. Yeah, I can start. Um, so I came to HDS as a trained rape crisis counselor who'd been doing um, survivor-based activism, um, both on sort of like a college campus level and then also on like a, a national governmental level. Um, so I, came, I come to academics through the lens of activism, uh, which has really informed my work. And I think that sometimes that work can um, really benefit from this like undergirding of theory that we're talking about here um, that I think Kara did a really, really great job sort of elucidating to us. Um, and so coming here, you know, the reason why I'm in the MDiv program is because I want the ability to do, to do field work, to do um, like concentrated, focused study in the classroom and in the field um, around issues of trauma because I think that as much as a theoretical lens is really, really helpful, you also need sort of that experience um, and so I think that that's the nice thing about HDS is like the experiential learning is weighted as heavily as theoretical learning. But I also don't think you can have one without the other. And so I think that that was part of the reason why HDS appealed to me, why specifically the MDiv appealed to me, um, and sort of my perspective. And I'm also happy to talk more. I'm gonna be at the dinner also, so if anyone has questions then, I'm happy to chat. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, that's a great question. I feel like I'm just getting started. Um, I think one example I can pull out is in that book by Lisa Patel on um, Youth at the Border. Um, she talks about one kid, and by all external like signs, he's doing great. You know, he got accepted to a college, he got a scholarship, he's doing a bunch of activities. And um, it seems like he's like a rising star. Um, but what most people don't see is that at home, his, um, his father's and his relation is not good. Like his father's kind of says just statements like, you know, you're worthless or I don't, you know, you don't appreciate all, all these things that I do for you. 
Um, you don't treat me with respect, X, Y, Z. And there's a history to that. There's um, a history of migration that um, his father came first, divorced his mother when he was born um, from his home, uh, and came to the U.S. by himself. And then the, the boy came later when he was 17 to live in his father's house in the U.S. and to complete his education and to have a chance to go to college. Um, and Patel's commentary is that uh, adolescent development, typically when you assess a person, you just look at, oh, typically an adolescent is supposed to be um, exploring their identity, um, preoccupied with sexuality, exploring that and doing all these other things. And this kid wasn't, and, but it doesn't, but, and so she says by the typical lens of, you know, development, he, he's the one that needs to be adjusted. He has, um, He's maladjusted, right? Um, but she says that this lens, the single story, what it does is that it cuts off questions about context. Um, that it, it puts the focus of um, intervention attention on the boy rather than maybe on his father or on taking a look at how migration influenced all this to be, that he isn't, you know, uh, doing things that typical adolescents should be doing. And so I, I think this is a really powerful example of where I'm at with thinking about trauma is that typically I've always thought about trauma about that person. What is it about them? You know, let's make, like, uh, how, do we, how do we adjust their emotions? How do they overcome this? Um, are they strong? Are they weak? And, um, and I'm starting to shift my attention towards, like, other factors that impact that person, that it's not just about that one person. You guys know this, like context is so important, but um, it's just, it's crazy how classes here have made me think about context a lot, like with double consciousness, that there's, you're, start, you're not, when you look at someone, you have, you can't assume that they're standing on the same ground you are. There's a lot that went into where they are at, and until you know that, you can't just diagnose them. <laughs> And so that's something about trauma that I learned. <laughs> so I just slide that over there. I was actually going to say that you would probably be better suited to answer it, you know, since you're a practitioner. All right. Um, that's a good question. Um, it's, it's definitely been a struggle, uh, and I think any of us up here can relate to um, the difficulty of trying to um, explain to friends and peers and family, mm -hmm. even, or uh, home pastors or... Uh, as I had an issue, my home Sunday school superintendent, you know, um, this change and what I'm going through intellectually and spiritually, um, 
it is, it is incredibly difficult. Um, and I think uh, the, best, the best way that I've found, um, well, I'll speak personally. Um, for me, one of the things that was very important to me was, was really digging into scripture, um, which for me is the Holy Bible, the Old Testament or First Testament and the New Testament or Christian Testament, and really being able to see those examples of people who went through changes and, and how they had to go through those changes in order for God to use them the way that God wanted to use them. Um, and so for me, that really was planted in my heart and I've sort of always held on to that. Um, it was rough, I'll, I'm not even gonna lie to you, it was, it was rough um, while I was here in Divinity School. And again, I'm sure certainly Kara and Cedric can attest, uh, you know, there were times where I was basically like condemned to hell for my evolving theology on a lot of different things. Um, but thank God for HDS where I had good people like this <laughs> who would say, you know, well, if you're going to hell, we'll just go together. And, and, and you know what I mean? You know, people that provided that community um, to really, really say, hey, we're all changing. We're all studying here. We're all growing. And, and we had some friends who were able to say, hey, this is actually in the end going to make us more effective for, for ministry and, and for academia. So um, it's tough, but I think that that's where community plays a big part. Um, and even the academics can play a part in that as well, would be mine. So. Great question. I think we're going to have two more questions, and then keep in mind that you should definitely stay in touch with these folks and continue the conversation. Yes, can I just ask a question? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Thank you. My question is over to Ms. Um I wanted to know if you knew coming into um, to, um, the Divinity School if you wanted to be uh, mm -hmm. a or Sure. So, um, so I did, I, at Spelman, I was a religious studies major with a sociology minor. And my senior year, the, the actual reason why I stumbled upon DivX is because I went through this kind of um, moment, this freak out moment where I was just like, oh crap, what do you do with a religious studies degree? Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> I think, you know, up until that point, I, it was really cute to, you know, to study, to read these really great things, to write about thinkers. Marcus and I actually were in class in college together. Um, and... The, the weird thing was just like, you know, at that fall semester, I, I distinctly remember feeling just kind of like totally unstable um, because I had friends who were like, oh, I'm going to law school and oh, I'm going to med school and oh, I'm going in the industry or I'm going to iBanking. And I was just like, I don't, I don't, do I get a job? Like, well, what do I do? What, ha what has this degree kind of set me up to do? And so di diversity in the exploration program actually came at a really crucial time for me when I was just trying to figure out what the next step was. Um, that said, you know, during my college um, degree or, or, or while I was um, doing a religious studies major at Spelman, I was very clear that I did not want to do ministry. And I think um, maybe for some of you, you guys can relate that a lot of times when you tell people that you do study religion or you study theology, they're like, oh, you want to preach? And I'm just like, no, not really. Like, <laughs> I don't really have anything to say. Um, so, and so it was, it was, um, it was, important for me, or one of the reasons why I decided to do the Master's in Theological Studies was actually to set myself apart 
from those kind of questions of, of ministry and calling and vocation. Um, the more I look back about it, um, and, and it's funny because I'm like, um, Jane and Josh said that I, I'm teaching theories, I'm a, one of the TFs for theories and methods right now, and one of the first things that we've come to realize in terms of the categories of religion is that religion is not separate from ideas of theology, right, to the extent that theology always represents what people believe, what people practice, what they do in their like day-to-day -day lives, that trying to distinguish between like, oh, I study religion in an academic standpoint, and oh, you do theology, or you do practice, or you preach, and you do that, that those types of distinctions are actually just really harmful because what we actually find is that when we study religion or when we say that we're studying religion, the kind of categories that we're calling upon um, are these categories that have seen or um, that necessarily have these kind of um, ideas always entangled and not able to kind of push out. So um, I say all that to say, it's a really long-winded to say that the, 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 the uh, Master's in Theological Studies was actually really short for me, and because I didn't kind of go in there with a, I didn't go in there thinking that I wanted to do the PhD, that it ended up taking two years off after my Master's in Theological Studies and then coming back to um, the PhD because I wanted to be sure, again, that the work I was going to do was work that I needed to do or that I wanted to do. Um, but that said, I had friends who did the MDiv, um, had friends who were in the MTS and switched over over to the MDiv to give themselves an extra year. So I think it's just you know a question of what the, the practicality is gonna be for you. If you feel like doing a thesis, a master's thesis, is important for you to set up yourself to do doctoral work, then the MDiv may be extremely helpful. Also, you know the kind of field work and um, um, field ed that's um, a part of the MDiv process, I think is also a, a nice you know balance or a nice kind of setup for our doctoral work. But that said, if you come in with a project that you're passionate about and you feel like you just just need two years to kind of hit it and quit it to, you know, to make connections and to move on, then I would just encourage you to do the MTS, but to do it with the kind of intentionality so that at the end, you know, at the beginning of your second year, you're not feeling rushed or, or unsettled in the same way that I did. Yeah, so I think one of the dangers of coming to a school like Harvard is that it breeds complacency when you get the big name. Um, I would like to see more people committed to social justice um, and actual activism like here. So if that's something you're passionate about, please, please come. I think it's something that like <laughs> oftentimes isn't at the level it should be. Um, yeah. Well, okay, so we've only been here one semester, just keep that in mind. Um, in my 
adolescent uh, development class. I love my classes. Anyway, um, there's a third year MDiv student. His name's Nestor, and he's working on a project that he's also, I think, involved with Harvard Business School on it, uh, where he provides a tutoring program for um, that links students here with um, staff um, at Harvard that provide support services, like who work um, at Rock Cafe or who are janitors or, so that's like one example. And that the, the action that you do, it, it doesn't have, it's in the program. Like that's his senior thesis. Like, and it's a project and he's gonna write about it. So yeah, and I'll be involved in that next year. That, that's a great question. Um, so um, I go back and forth. Um, there was a period of time while I was here at HDS, um, and I'll, let me back up. Being AME sometimes presents its own challenges. We're a Methodist denomination, so the way our polity is set up, our bishops pick us up and move us. So there's this extra dynamic um, that my brother said doesn't necessarily have to deal with, although Baptists have their own challenges as well. Um, so, so for me, I, I had that extra dynamic. So for me, the struggle really was um, not only where am I theologically, um, ethically with, with this system, but uh, just the polity. What in the world am I going to do with myself? Um, so I definitely had a moment where I think I don't know if it was a hierophany or revelation of God or whatever, but I had a moment where I said, you know, this is, this is the church I know and love and I'm gonna stick it out uh, while giving myself permission to walk away mm -hmm. at some point. And that was a huge uh, moment for me. There was a long period of time where I wasn't giving myself that kind of freedom. Um, so the short answer, the quick answer would be yes, I plan to stick with it, um, but I do have an exit strategy should it be necessary. <laughs> <laughs> And everybody needs an exit strategy. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, yes. Said, yeah. Okay, so that, that's a great no? to, uh, to pause. I won't say end, but to pause. Um, let's give the panelists a hand. <laughs>